Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Here at 3CR on the 15th of June, we're hosting our annual Radiothon fundraiser and we need your help. You can make a difference by donating. Your support keeps 3CR broadcasting unique conversations, great music and diverse voices. If you're a fan of Living Free, help us reach our show's target of $2,000. Call 3CR anytime and keep the Living Free show alive. Support Living Free. Stay tuned to 3CR and stay radical. Welcome to the Living Free Show on 3CR Community Radio, 855kHz on your AM dial and 3CR on digital radio. Hi, I'm Bill, and I'd like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, traditional owners of the land from which 3CR transmits people-powered radio. I'd like to pay my respects to the elders past and present and to acknowledge that this land was stolen, that sovereignty was never ceded. Each week on the Living Free Show... We showcase one of the many programs that assist in recovery from drugs, alcohol, gambling and food addictions. Our guests share their recovery story and highlight that shared experience saves lives. My guest today is a compulsive gambler who's recovering with the help of Gamblers Anonymous. So I'd like to welcome Adrian to the show. Hi, Adrian. Hi, Bill. Thank you for having me. Pleasure. So, Adrian, on the show, we usually talk about growing up and the things that influenced you to take the path you took. So do you want to talk a little bit about growing up and, um, I guess, family and, you know, your early life? Yeah, no worries, Bill. Um, well, grew, grew up here in Melbourne. Um, great childhood, you know, great parents, great family, younger brother. Um, was never wanting of anything. Was always, always had loving, supporting parents my whole childhood. My earliest memories always pleasant ones. I was lucky and fortunate enough to have both my parents together, all grandparents alive, just a great childhood full of um, love, really. Um, my heritage, I'm of Italian heritage, so we're extremely close with family and even friends, family, friends, and just every, every aspect of my childhood was, you know, wanting for nothing, essentially. Yeah. Do you want to tell us a little bit about your families, brothers and sisters? Yeah, so a younger brother, a big, a big sort of gap between me and him of uh, six, uh, six and a half years. So we're never extremely close, but now, now older on, you know, we, we've got a good relationship. But, you know, growing up, never really, I was always a lot older. So, yeah, we never had as close a relationship as probably a normal sibling sort of relationship. But, yeah, uh, now now these days to see him grow up and be an adult is, is really good. Yeah, it is. It's, it's great to see people grow up, isn't it, and um, see them mature and change into something, you know, really uh, significant, yeah. Mm. So you mentioned you had a really happy childhood and things. So what was life like at school? So school for me, primary school for me was... I wouldn't say difficult, but I, I started having really bad ear infections at a, at a quite a young age, probably in, in sort of my prep sort of year, possibly before. So I actually missed a lot of school for my first year or two just due to having a few surgeries on my ears and things like that. But other than that, my school life itself was, you know, re- really good, really positive. Um, it was in the 90s, so it was a little bit more probably carefree as, as compared to these days. You know, a lot of, lot of footy, a lot of cricket, a lot of soccer, you name it. Yeah, but school, school was great for me, really. I've still got friends to this day from, from my primary school, so, yeah. Okay. So did things change once you went to secondary school? So secondary school for me is... I wouldn't say it challenged me. I think for, so the primary school I went to was a feeder school to my secondary school. So essentially walking into my secondary school was a continuation of my primary school. So it was very seamless for me. But 
obviously, you know, going from the being the big boys in year six to uh, starting again in year seven is always a challenge. But, you know, uh, more or less, I knew a lot of kids that were a little bit older than me, so I got looked after a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so I, pro- I probably didn't have as much challenges as the average student from out of out of the area. Out of zone, yeah. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, I remember um, year seven or what, first form, I think it was called back then. Um, yeah, it was pretty... <laughs> The first day, I went to a tech school. First day at tech school was <laughs> running the gauntlet, really. Yeah, it was a, it was pretty rough sometimes. Yeah. So, again, you know, in secondary school, um, friends, good? Yeah, so quite, I wouldn't say a large group of friends, but a really tight group of friends that I still have to this day. Um, yeah, just, just a real good bunch of blokes they're all really high achieving fellas um to this day a lot of them are, have done extremely well in their lives um they again just some of the best I, I couldn't ask for better friends um we've always been tight and close but they've always also been there for me in my worst times as well um but yeah in, in terms of friends I've, I've been blessed in that aspect yep yeah. Okay. So the other thing I was going to talk about was, I guess, anybody in the, in your family have any drugs, alcohol, gambling, food addictions? Yeah. So in terms of alcohol, no, no one. But I, I do have an uncle that has struggled his whole life with the gambling addiction as well. Right. He's probably not. He's never came out with. You know, he, he's challenges to the family, but, you know, it's it's one of those family secrets that everyone knows about but no one talks about, essentially. Yeah. But yeah. He, he's been challenged his whole life with a gambling addiction, yeah. Yeah. Often, you know, families play cards and do minor sort of gambling things. So did any, any of your family, close family, do any of that sort of stuff? Look, I was never around you know, exchanging of, of money, I guess you could say, in a gambling sense. But I do remember as, as a child a lot of the times going with my Italian grandparents to, um, you know, Tombola, it's called, which is essentially um, bingo, more or less, yeah. um, and a lot of card sort of card nights and things like that they held at their home. Um, you know, I, I, to be honest with you, I couldn't tell you if, if money was exchanged on those nights, but... There was essentially that that competitive, you know, that that competitive seed. I, I saw it firsthand when I was quite young. Yeah. Yeah. So, what was your first exposure to to gambling? So, I, I feel as though I would have been thirteen, fourteen, um, and as I mentioned to you before, a lot of a few. I know a few older kids at the time that were in in higher year levels than me. And I couldn't pinpoint the moment it would have happened, but just getting an interest in, in sports betting and, and odds around mainly AFL games and things like that and um, feeling as though that because I had access to that through these boys that I knew, I it was almost I felt obliged that I'd get involved with that, you know, Um although illegal and obviously underage gambling more or less, because it was through them, I felt like I got a bit of a thrill out of it, I guess you could say. Um, It was just something interesting to do at at the time, you know. I felt as though I had access to something other people didn't, so that gave me a thrill, I guess. Yeah. So a lot of gamblers mention their first, win so did you have a a winning experience well early early days bill we we would be talking like i said i would have been 13 or 14 at the time so i probably couldn't even tell you my first win or big win or big loss um i just remember it being very very weekly very consistent um but yeah, I, I do recall one time that I I did have a big ish win comparatively for the time. 
Um, and yeah, it, it was a substantial amount of money for me at the time. But an issue I had was was actually collecting at the time. Um, that was another issue in itself. So I had to um, do some funny business and you know get get some people involved to collect for me and give them a, a portion of the um, the winnings and whatnot, which was madness. I look back now, but I guess these were the things that that I was doing at a very young age that um, planted the seed for me, more or less. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty exciting. Um, so two two other questions. One is um, how did you fund your gambling? Yeah, so most of the time I would, I would be given, I wouldn't say an allowance, but because we were only talking very small amounts of money at the time. But, you know, I always had access to a little bit of money that was for, for lunch, for example, or, you know, just I, I always had access to money. If It was never large sums of money, but... At that age, I had a little bit of money saved up just through, you know, birthday presents and Christmas presents and whatnot, as well as having sort of money that was given to me for, you know, lunch, more or less, or if I was taking the bus or things like that. So I always had access to a little bit of money. Yeah. Okay. So the other one that I was going to ask you about was deception, you know, not letting your family know what was happening. So... Did that sort of pull at you a bit about your being anxious about not letting people know what was really happening? Look, at, at that young age, absolutely not. Um, to be honest, I thought it was something everybody did. I thought it was just another part of life that, you know, you, you everyone gambles, more or less. Um, so the deception never really came into it because for me, I had no reason to lie at the time. Um, obviously, being underage, it would have been an issue if they found out. But I, I don't really remember them ever knowing, plain and simply. They they just never would have known. Yeah, I guess uh, back in the nineties, it would have would have only been at the TAB or something like that. Mm. That you couldn't bet online at, at that stage, obviously. Mm. So you you had to get other people to do to put the bets on in real terms to to make it yeah yeah yep a lot of uh older guys that I knew just just through a multitude of ways I even had an older cousin he was a second cousin that was in year 12 when I was in year 11 and I, even at one stage I had him put a couple of bets on for me so I, I always had a way to do it yeah 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 and so did you take a lot of interest in it? Was it something you followed a lot or was it just an occasional thing? Absolutely. Um, early days, it was not something that you'd put much thought into. It was just just more of a thrill, cheap thrill, you know, add a bit of interest to a, to a sporting event or game. Um, but, yeah, as, as sort of the years went on through, through my high school years, it became a real obsession more or less, to, to the point that it was probably w- what I was thinking about most of the time. Yeah. You know, most most people would, would be thinking about normal teenage things, whereas my my mindset was already on that stage. I can't wait till I get to 18 years of age because a whole new world's going to open up for me. So a lot, a lot of my years, as, as the, our literature points out, it's a progression. So it started off for me as nothing more than just a little bit of fun, I guess you could say, but quick, quick, quickly morphed into a problem even before the age of 18 for me. Yeah. So how did it affect your schooling? Yeah, drastically, drastically. I was never a studious type. Um, so for me, school was never the priority, but gambling and at the time probably underage drinking as well was all I aspired for really. I, I didn't have any aspirations for university or further education. Um, I really just became numb to school to the point where I, I didn't want to be there. I actually wanted to drop out and start a trade, but my parents encouraged me just to finish my year 12. But ultimately I, I essentially failed my year 12, but 
I just didn't want to be there. And my mind was in other areas and, and one of those areas was gambling, yep. Yeah. So just touching on your drinking then, was drink was, was drinking and gambling related? Yes, yeah, especially in those early early sort of days when I was uh, probably 16, 17, yeah. A lot, a lot of the time by then I had figured out a few venues and even TABs themselves where I could actually start to put bets on myself. I knew a few venues a long way from home where I knew I wouldn't get questioned, things like that. So at that point it became a real a real mission of mine to um, sort of find out these areas and, and essentially just become a drinking gambler, essentially. Um, and if anything, it just created more of a thrill for me because not only was I doing two things that I wasn't meant to do, I was also doing it under the cover of darkness, essentially. No one knew I was doing it at the time. I was doing it all alone. And to be honest, I, I got a thrill out of getting away as well, getting away with it. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's obviously not something I, I'm proud of now, but a lot of a lot of the gambling was drinking as well in the early days. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. We might take a short break there. Our first song today is by Ravi Varman, and it's called Blame It on the Rain. And it was released in 21st of May, 2023. And it's courtesy of Australian Music Radio Airplay Project. The sky is grey and once again I can feel a storm come rolling in be a long night I try to sleep it's pouring down I reach for you forgot you're not around it's gonna be alright I got my space to myself don't have to answer to no I'm missing you 
Stay Radical. 3CR Radiothon Fundraiser, June 2023. To donate, call the station 0394198377 or donate online 3cr.org.au. 3CR Radiothon 2023. Stay tuned. Stay Radical. don't have a million dollars and still want to have a good education for your kid, tune into the Dogs Program. We are the defenders of government schools. 12pm on Saturdays, here on 3CR. 855 and AM Dial podcast, streaming live on 3cr.org.au and 3CR Digital. We defend government schools because they need it. Welcome back. Uh, this is the Living Free Show on 3CR. 855kHz on your AM dial and 3CR on digital radio. If you'd like to listen to one of our many podcasts, uh, you can find them on your preferred podcast platform or just Google 3CR Living Free and check out our website. You can also contact us via phone, email or Twitter. Today I'm talking with Adrian and we're talking about compulsive gambling and his recovery through Gamblers Anonymous. Uh, So Adrian, before the break, we were talking about, I think you called yourself a drinking gambler in, in your late high school days. So how did things change once you left school? So I left school um, 18, obviously. I, f- I finished my year 12, barely. Um, and I, I was lucky enough to secure an apprenticeship for a trade. And for, for a brief period there, my, my life was on track. I had direction. More or less, I didn't have the opportunity to, to drink or gamble as much as probably what I had in the past, pure and simply because I was working six days a week um, and, and I was passionate about my work too. So for a few years there, probably two or three years, I I shelved a lot of a lot of that lifestyle because I, I've sort of had a direction, a path that I wanted to follow. I knew that it was probably a really good opportunity for me to actually make something of my life, um, knowing that I didn't have the brain's potentially for university so I had to um had to make it somehow yeah but yeah probably from 18 to 22 life life was really good for me I had a secure girlfriend at the time as well so everything was sort of on an upward trend for those years so did you make enough money to be comfortable in those in those times in that time I was saving a lot of money I I was gambling but I was still gambling amounts of money. I was gambling when I was a teenager at school. So comparatively, you would be talking very small amounts of money compared to my income. So essentially it went back to being just a hobby more or less for for a lot of years there. So I, I was actually putting a lot of money away and getting ahead in life. So how did that change? So... I would have been about 23 or 24. I finished my apprenticeship. Actually, sorry, it would have been a bit earlier than that. I would have been about 22. I finished my apprenticeship and and started my own business. With starting my own business, I I found I had a lot of free time and no one to tell me what to do. So essentially, my schedule being really regimented prior with a boss who was a very hard worker and um, like I mentioned, working six days a week most weeks to 
being able to call the shots myself. So a lot of the, a lot of days it was start work at seven, knock off at twelve, twelve thirty, and, and be at the uh, tab for the first race most days. And that just became a pattern of behaviour for me. Uh, I normalised that sort of lifestyle, that um, bachelor sort of lifestyle that I craved and had missed out for probably three or four years prior. A new world opened up for me. No one telling me what to do. No one telling me where to be. Yeah. And it really, that's that's when the problems really started for me. Yeah. So I'm assuming it affected your relationship with your girlfriend. It did. Around that same time, we um, our relationship ended, not through my gambling, but potentially just me neglecting the relationship played a part in the, the relationship breakdown. There were a few other things that happened at the time that, you know, we, we both, we're both guilty of, but essentially the gambling was the lifestyle I wanted. I didn't want the um, committed relationship anymore. Too much control. Too much control. Spot on. <laughs> Spot on. Too much observation, yeah. Mm-hmm. So did it start affecting your work? Uh, yes, yeah. I was always a hard worker, but, you know, my, my working week's going from 50 hours, you know, dropped to, you know, 25 to 30 hours and, most of my schedule just revolved around what races were on the day, you know, even going to some race tracks during sort of work hours. Um, essentially, just just wanting to live that lifestyle of a, I guess you could say, a colourful racetrack identity. I guess you could say that that was that was the lifestyle that I I really I really liked the look of for me. I just thought that, that that would be where I, I most fit in, most belong. So, you know, I, I would roll into a pub more or less every single day for probably two or three years, anywhere from one o'clock to sort of two o'clock every day for countless years. Yeah. So talking about being a, a colourful racetrack identity, did that involve you spending lots of money? Apart from gambling, I mean. Yeah, yeah. Part of our literature in, in GA talks about the, the need to be a big shot and part of that is is not just the gambling but putting on a persona that you are flush with money or you are flush with connections essentially. So I, I would never act like that on, on a racetrack. I was purely there just to gamble. But, you know, in places, in venues, I I was the one that if I had a big win, I'd, I'd you know, shout a few people a beer or, you know, just, just little things like that. I, I had to be I had to be the centre of attention a lot of the time, not, not to the point of probably making an idiot of myself, but just to be known that, oh, that's, that's Adrian over there. He's the, uh, he's the big punter, you know. He's, he's coming into town, watch out sort of thing. I thrived on that notoriety. Yeah, a, a lot of people when they gamble like to fly under the radar. You clearly didn't want to do that. For me, one of the venues I used to frequent was a long way, long way from my home. So essentially, I was able to live a double life. Um, these were people that I would never have have to encounter in, in everyday life, essentially. And these people had no connection to any aspect of my life. So the plain and simple term to use is a double life i was i was able to be this person at these venues but i avoided venues close to home for that for that exact reason yeah so did money start becoming a problem with your gambling yeah very very quickly for many years i was able to save up probably a decent amount of money to to the point where i was actually able to put a deposit down on a house for myself. So up until about 24, 25, like I mentioned, the, the money was was there. The money wasn't an issue at that time. It was just a progression more or less where the bets would slowly get bigger and bigger. Uh, the hours where I was gambling would get longer and longer. 
and the wins I would need to to um, satisfy my needs had to be greater and greater. So every everything just progressed to the point where I was gambling well above my means, well above my means. So what did that involve for you then? How did you get the extra means? So for me, it's got to a point where I started dabbling in uh, semi-illegal acts, I'll say. I was living life on the edge in a lot of aspects. I was starting to get involved with um, people that probably were doing illegal acts, but I, I sort of bent the line, I guess you could say. I, I found up ways to get access to a little bit of extra money um, and that ex- little bit of extra money would supplement my my extra gambling, my need to gamble. But essentially all, all it was doing was giving me more more fuel to add to the fire, really. It was already going down a one-way sort of straight for me and it was just a, a progressive deterioration as, as our literature um, talks about. Yeah. So did you depend on anybody in your family or, or just friends? Yeah, so as which happens to most gamblers, got to a point where the money started running out really quick. So all of a sudden I was asking friends for, you know, a little bit of a, a loan here and there um, or a little bit of money to cover this or oh, I can't come out for dinner tonight, I've got no money. Those sort of little um, little things started to creep into my life where at this point I'd never, I, I had been the one to help out friends. So the tables turned, but they were more than happy to help me because the simple fact was I'd helped a lot of them in the past. So a lot just thought I was going through a rough patch of, of something um, and they were unwillingly giving me money essentially just to continue to gamble because I, I was bust at that point. I, I absolutely had nothing left at this point. Yeah. So did you tell your family or just friends? So I never never told family or friends about my, my gambling. Um, my friends knew I, I liked to punt. Um, they knew I, I attended a racetrack now and then. They knew I'd, you know, stop into a pub you know, a night or two a week and have a beer or two and have a punt. But they never knew the the extent of my gambling. It only really got to a point that they found out was due to my parents getting an influx of just debt collectors essentially rocking up on their doorstep saying, uh, we can't locate your son. This is his last known address. He owes X amount of money. Where is he? Um, and that's when faced with, um, you know, threats, essentially, I'll call them threats, that, that's when the, the uh, stories had to, um, the gig was finally up and the story had to be told to my parents. Yep. So how, was, how did that pan out? Uh, horrifically. Horrifically. My parents, uh, it completely caught them off guard. They had no idea. To that point, they had seen me do everything really right uh, in my 20s, really. I, I was putting money aside. I had I had the girlfriend. I had the house. Um, they were very, very caught off guard from um, the amount of money I owed and what I'd done with the money. Um, and they just couldn't comprehend it, especially my mother. She, she could not comprehend what I had done and for how long I was doing it as well. So it really hit them like a ton of bricks. Yeah. So what about you? How did you feel? Relief's not the right word, but it, it is a form of relief that I'd been caught. Um, I, I don't have better words for that, to be honest, Bill. All I know is that it felt like it was time to do something about it because, as I mentioned before, it was getting to a point where I was willing to start getting involved with illegal acts and knowing my own story and how much I loved gambling, 
I potentially would have done anything to to get money in which to do so. Um, so to be caught at that time is probably probably a really really sort of end of the line moment for me, where it could have gone one or two ways. And I feel if I didn't get caught at that sort of time, it, it would have gone down a very dark path for me. Okay. Well, listen, we might take another break there. Our second song is by Kaya Mercedes. It's called Hide With Me, and it was released on the 26th of May, 2023, uh, and it's courtesy of Australian Music Radio Airplay Project. We need your financial support to be independent, community-controlled and focused on people rather than profits. Your support during Radiothon keeps the station radical and enables us to give voice to hundreds of people and issues for another year. And remember, any amount you can afford makes a big difference and all donations over $2 are tax deductible. 3CR Radiothon, show your support during June 2023.
we're dealing with here is a total lack of respect for the law. Tune in to Done By Law. An informal and irreverent look at the law. Critical insights and analysis from diverse community perspectives. Done by Law, 6pm Tuesdays. Ah, welcome back. This is the Living Free Show on 3CR Digital Radio, live streaming on 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming. And today we're talking with Adrian about compulsive gambling and his recovery through Gamblers Anonymous. So, Adrian, before the break, uh, we are talking about the fact that your gambling uh, situation was exposed and you felt really that it, it had saved you from going to a pretty dark place. So do you want to talk about what sort of help you got and your, I guess, your progression to where you are now? Yeah, no worries, Bill. So essentially, once it all came out in the wash, um, my my father straight away said, you need help, plain and simple, and you're going to get the help whether you like it or not. Um, essentially, I'd never heard of Gamblers Anonymous at that time. I knew Alcoholics Anonymous, for example, but I didn't know there was a Gamblers Anonymous. And my old man um, looked up some meetings that night um, he found Box Hill, which was our local meeting, and it was on the following Monday, and he said, you're going here with me. No ifs or buts, we're going. Um, so essentially, I was pulled by the ear, more or less, on the day of it. On the day, I remember my old man, he said, I don't even trust to meet you there. I'm going to come and pick you up and take you there. So at this point, I knew they were serious about me receiving this help and trying sort of anything at that point. But GA was the first step for me. Yeah. So what was your experience of the first meeting of GA? Well, the a simple way to put it for me was that my mind was absolutely blown. I remember walking up. To the, uh, to the rooms there and there would have been, oh, I'd say, 10 to 15 people that night. Um, just knowing that there was a group of people suffering from the same sort of thing I, I had was really, um, was really welcoming. Uh, that's the only word I can really describe it. Up to that point in time, I thought I was the only one like me. Yeah. Um, so to, to meet a group of people and instantly have that connection of problem gambling really made me feel I wasn't alone anymore. It, it made me feel like, well, if there's 15 other people like me in these rooms, there's there's hope. Yeah. Um, so my, my first experience was really confronting, but at the same time really um, I felt like I belonged there. Yeah. I wasn't pushing up up until walking into those gates. I didn't feel like I belonged there. But once I was in the room, I knew I was in a place that I belonged. Yeah. So what did your dad think of the meeting? Was he amazed, all these gamblers? So my, my dad, actually, I forgot to mention it previous, but his best friend, actually, from his childhood was, was a compulsive gambler as well. So it got to a point where their relationship actually deteriorated to the point where he was essentially homeless, my dad's best friend. So he, he had seen firsthand what gambling had done to his best mate. And I've never spoken to him about it, but I know that he did try to give him help over the years as well. Whether whether or not that was GA itself, I assume it would have been, but my dad had experience with the, um, you know, the program, essentially. He knew it existed um, and, yeah, he really just thought that I needed it and he, he thought it would he, he thought it would be something that I would respond to given my personality. And he, he's said that in, in later years. He said, 
doing not the sort to um respond to you know the beating downs of the table and the yelling you know you, you need more of the uh cuddle yeah which is uh what what ga is essentially so yeah that's right yeah yeah it's not it's not your fault you're just you're a victim of something outside of you but you need help to get it you know to resolve it yeah i needed all the help i could get i'll tell you that much bill so do you want to talk about your your early days in gamblers and honest and and i guess your progression from being a you know somebody who knew nothing about ga to somebody who you know experienced uh what ga can do for people yeah like i mentioned i didn't know what to expect when i first walked in the rooms one of the uh, long-time members that still involved with the program today, I remember the first thing he said to me was, just sit there and, and take it all in. Um, you don't have to understand a lot of it, but just sit there, listen, read, you know, and, and when you're sort of comfortable to um, talk or, or share, go for it. And that very first meeting, I, I felt comfortable enough to start talking and sharing um, and that was a testament to the people in those rooms because just just how welcoming they were and and how how much they understood that me being a young man at the time that I, I could still turn my life around. Um, it wasn't too late for me. I still had the time to to fix my wrongs, and essentially everyone in that meeting is there for the same reason. So. The, the early days of recovery was, was quite difficult. Um, I did bust a lot of times early days. Um, the addiction was that strong for me that there was a couple of occasions where I, where I left a meeting and went straight to a venue, which I look back now and I think, geez, that's that's insanity. But that's, that's sort of the mind frame I was at for my first, oh, geez, it would have been the first five or six months. It was very much a sit there, listen, try and take it in, and then try not to gamble for the next week, but putting no real structures in for myself to, to prevent that, more just blind faith in uh, in the program for what I understood at the time. So ha- how did that change? So probably probably six months in, when, when I sort of – I had a little bit of time up at that point. I was probably at about a – a month or two, and that was that was my record for the time. And um, one of the uh, one of the I'll call him an elder, but one of the uh, the older guys involved in our meeting, uh, he's he's seen it all before, and he um, he sort of saw that I was at a point where I could actually start my recovery properly. I don't know if he saw that the penny had just dropped with me, or perhaps he saw a change in my personality. But he thought that I was at a point where I could actually really start grinding out the recovery program and really looking towards a a life without gambling rather than abstaining, recovering. Yeah. So what form did that take then? So for me, it was about um, essentially being honest with with a lot of um, aspects of my life. So, you know, one of the um, one of the simple but most effective, you know, things to do is to give away control of your money, yeah. um, or at very least having having people be able to track your money. Um, something that I was so against, but handing over that power took the pressure off me. Yeah. You know, something something so simple. And that was one of the recommendations given to me and that, that worked great. Um, another one was, you know, at this stage I was still, you know, going to a, a pub, you know, most Saturdays or Sundays. I wasn't gambling but I was still putting myself in positions where I, I could easily gamble under the right set of circumstances. And I look back now, I think, I don't know why I was doing those things because that's what would happen. I would be putting the temptation right in front of me and testing myself. 
So I, I sort of had to make a commitment where I said, well, I can't go to pubs anymore. I, I can't go to venues where there's gambling anymore because for me, the pressure and the risk is too great. So from that point forward, I had to be honest with friends and say, I can't go to this venue because, you know, there's, there's gambling. And a lot of the time they, they didn't understand, but I said, got to a point where I had to be honest and, and tell them, look, I'm, I'm a compulsive gambler. I can't be near gambling establishments, plain and simple. And these were the little things that, that really got me on track. So getting back to sort of work, so did your work, your job improve as you started to get control of your life? Absolutely. Um, at that point, unfortunately, due to my um, negligence with, with my work, um, I lost a lot of uh, clients that I'd sort of built up over the years, essentially losing losing trust in a lot of them because I would I would make commitments to finish work in specific periods of time, but evidently I, I would always run overtime. And it just got to a point where a lot of them were annoyed with me. So essentially I, I had to go work with someone um, who can give me more secure work and more um, – more stable sort of weekly income, pure and simply because I wasn't even in the mind frame at the time to run my own business. So, but the work is the one thing that was always consistent with me. I was always willing to work. I never had to take a period of time off. So for me, the the work aspect improved out of sight very quickly as well, very quickly. Uh, what about relationships with family and um, you know, close friends? Yeah, so so the relationship with my my family is very um very good now, very good. It's in a really good spot now. They still probably carry a bit of the burden of of my past. Um, more more to the fact that they they're just extremely scared that I can someday fall back into that um that world, um, and I think they just have a. a almost a constant fear that, that that will happen. More or less the relationship, though, is improving every day. Um, as long as they see that I'm helping myself, I feel as though they're very supportive of that. Um, it's when I've sort of strayed away from the tracks a little bit where they've been very quick to to straighten me out now, which is, is what I need. And... You know, that, that direction's really something that I really need. Friends, a lot of my friends don't know how bad my gambling was. So the story with them a lot of the time was that I've just stopped gambling. I've, I'm choosing not to gamble anymore. But a lot of them don't know the actual depths of where I was. But, you know, more or less they all sort of know that I'm not gambling anymore so they don't talk about odds and things like that around me anymore. They're very conscious to keep me out of those discussions, more or less. And it's it's that does help. That really does help because, you know, the simple the simple fact is a lot of people don't understand that, you know, for for an alcoholic, for example, him seeing him or her seeing people drink can spur things on for them. For me, seeing people gamble, seeing horses, seeing you know, ads, those things to this day still give me an urge to gamble. It's about restricting that, restricting the amount of times I'm able to see those things or hear about those things really does help me. Yeah. So have you lost the urge to gamble? There are still periods of time where if I am frustrated or I've had a bad day or... You know, I've, I've had an argument with my partner or whatever it might be. There are still aspects of, of my life where I feel an urge to gamble. The difference now is I'm aware of these things. I'm aware of my triggers and I'm aware of where the gambling will inevitably, inevitably take me. So I'm able to sort of safeguard 
those thoughts now. I'm able to know when they're coming on and I'm able to sort of counter them with, you know, there's one reason to gamble, there's 99 reasons to not gamble. Um, and essentially that's how I live my life now. There's there's so many reasons to not gamble as compared to just giving into the gambling. So, yeah, yeah. and every day, every day that that's sort of slowly going away. Yeah. Good odds, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, well, that's about all we've got time for today. So I'd like to thank Adrian for sharing his gambling recovery story with us and talking about how Gamblers Anonymous helped his recovery. Thank you. Thank you, Bill. Coming up next, we have Belenoir, The Spirit of War, hosted by Uncle Tell Jim Choco Edwards. Join Uncle Choco in the spirit of war on a journey of belonging and movement through sing-alongs and yarns. And... Here at 3CR on the 15th of June, we're hosting our annual Radiothon fundraiser, and we need your help. You can make a difference by donating. Uh, thanks for listening. Stay safe and stay tuned now for more Radical Radio on 3CR. And to take us out, we've got our final song is by Mikhail Laxton. It's called Dying to Let You Go. And thanks, Michael, for sending me a copy and glad to play it. Enjoy. Do
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.